Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here with Jacob Simbler. It's August 3rd, 2022. We're at Fayetta Vineyard in McMinnville. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, First question to get you started is why wine? Gosh, why wine? Um, I think for me, wine sort of ticks all the boxes, all the the categories that make, you know, life interesting. It brings culture, people, seasonality. Um, it's a way for me to um, measure the year, um, but also my life in the vintages that I get to see. Mm-hmm. So take us to your life before wine. Tell us about where you were born and raised and grew up and kind of your path through. I'm a Florida boy by birth. I uh, lived in St. Petersburg until I was 18 years old. My mom's oldest sister, my uncle, my cousins um, all lived down in Ashland. So over our summer breaks, my parents would kick us off the beach for a couple of weeks over summer and send us out to the woods to play with their goats and chickens and kind of fell in love with Oregon that way. So what was your kind of path after high school? Uh, I knew that I wanted to work outside. There was a moment where I was thinking about getting into forestry or um, animal rehabilitation services. I did a couple internships in college as well as in high school working with rehabilitated um, animals, mm-hmm. seabirds in Florida, and then the Cascade Raptor Center in Eugene. Um, and then in college, I had an internship opportunity in Scotland with seabirds. It was an opportunity to focus on animal education, wildlife education, without the um, rehabilitation facility in place. Mm-hmm. It was a distance learning campus. Um, so it was a way to kind of um, build upon those skills I'd already learned um, at those other facilities. Um, but the internship fell through, and I was using a third-party uh, international internship company um, in college to help place me in that program. And so they helped shuffle me into a different direction, or to still utilize their internship um, services. And that was an organic gardening internship in Northern Ireland at a Tibetan Buddhist retreat center. And so I lived there for three months at a residential facility where we grew all of the produce um, that fed the full-time residents and then the tourists that would come to spend the weekend with us. It's a pretty big Pretty big thing. jump there, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was at the um, Buddhist Center that I learned a lot about uh, their farming practices, which then took me to biodynamics. So I was an environmental studies major at University of Oregon with a sustainable agriculture focus um, and then was able to kind of take that experience in Ireland kind of focused on biodynamics and then I was given a book um, by one of my TAs by Catherine Cole called Voodoo Vintners. And that was my introduction into the Oregon wine industry, was kind of taking this passion of biodynamics and then seeing it applied in the wine industry. So before we talk about that, I'm curious what it was about biodynamics that appealed to you. Um, I'm a 1990-born millennial. It was kind of this way of combining my love of Harry Potter (laughs) uh, and the magic of farming. Um, You know, you have astrology, you have the preparations, which was very much like potion making, transmutation, transfiguration, um, everything kind of came together in this way that really seemed to tick all my boxes, spark all my interests, and um, I love the the community around biodynamics. Yeah, tell me more about that, the, the community around it. What did you what did you find kind of in the early days of biodynamic community? 
Um, well, Catherine Cole's book kind of put me on a path of the wineries that I um, have spent time working with. I spent three times work, uh, three years working uh, at Brooks Winery and their hospitality uh, while I went back to school for vineyard management. Um, and I'm currently helping out at Brickhouse right now um, in their hospitality as well. Um, it kind of found a path for me to follow towards like-minded individuals in the wine industry where we were passionate about um, ways to kind of shake up the system and to look at, you know, more holistic farming practices. So you mentioned uh, getting, tell me about the, the first step into wine after you, you, re, you read the book, you get excited, you're excited about biodynamics, you're, you, see, you see a path, so what's the first step? Um, I joined a Harvest Team in 2013, right after I graduated from the University of Oregon um, at Benton Lane Winery uh, outside of Junction City in Monroe. It was not a large team, but we made a lot of wine, uh, just about 25,000 cases, I think, at the time. And that was really my first foray, foray into like the excitement of harvest, um, the camaraderie, the long hours, um, and a lot of different people coming from different backgrounds, but getting to see that passion that kind of pulled us all together. Yeah, tell me more about uh, first first harvest experiences are always interesting to me. Tell me more about your first harvest. Oh gosh. Um, well, they tell you to always keep a towel and a change of clothes in your car. I'm glad that I followed those instructions. Um, you know, I, it was even if it was a little monotonous and it was routine, it still felt different every day. Um, there was always something new going on, and by the time you got tired or physically bored <laughs> with one task, there was something else to move on to. And I kind of enjoyed that um, that dynamicness to it. With that as your first experience, at the end of that harvest, what, what, what were you thinking about kind of future in wine? Were you still excited about it? Had your path changed? I was still excited about it. You know, I, I think back about that almost about 10 years ago now. Um, I was really forging that path on my own. I didn't really have a mentor in the wine industry, someone to kind of maybe take me by the hand and, and you know lead me through. I pretty much graduated in June and then started working on a bottling line in July. Um, and I think I probably could have put some effort into chasing that harvest, you know, going down to the Southern Hemisphere, kind of building upon that energy. But instead I uh, found myself without a job after that harvest and, you know, right around Thanksgiving time and started looking around on winejobs.com mm -hmm. and found a position with Willamette Valley Vineyards. They were just starting to expand their winery ambassador program at their estate in Salem and had just finished their construction on their um, new hospitality space and restaurant at the time. It's a different part of the industry, so I'm, I'm curious what, what appealed to you about that kind of path. Um, well, the first thing that I recognized about Willamette Valley Vineyards is they had a relationship with Cascade Raptor Center, which was the um, Raptor uh, Rehabilitation Facility in Eugene that I was spending time with. They have a barn owl uh, release program where they release barn owls to their live certification. And so here was this kind of you know, joining of two different passions of mine, again, my wildlife rehabil rehabilitation work and again in wine. And uh, that kind of inspired me, okay, this is a, a company that has some like-minded values in that regard. And so I uh, applied and uh, started working there just after the new year. Tell me about that experience. That was interesting. You know, that was my first time uh, really in a pretty big environment um, in a job after college. And I think um, they recognized and saw this you know, passion in me, this drive to want to wanna, you know, be in the wine industry. And so they kind of shuffled me around a little bit. They, they looked for an opportunity for me to find a, a space within the company um, that I could excel in. And I kind of eventually moved from um, the winery ambassador uh, 
program, which did focus a lot on um, phone sales with you know customers and longtime clients of yours, to doing more um, tours at the facility. And then I started managing their offsite event program um, for about a year and a half, and then that fed into national sales. And so when I eventually left the company after almost two years, I was um, helping manage and facilitate distributor relationships in seven states, in the Southwest and the Mid-Atlantic, and spent quite a bit of time on the road uh, working with Oregon Wine in those states, um, and had a fun time with it. It's quite a bit of progression in a fairly short amount of time. Yeah. What did you enjoy about, of, of the different tasks you had, what were the most enjoyable ones? Um, you know, I really enjoyed the work with. You know, I liked meeting the uh, sales reps, um, the district managers. Um, you know, doing those general sales meetings in front of a team of 100 people was a little intimidating, um, especially when you're so far away from home. You know, the focal point of what you're talking about, you're essentially bringing Oregon wine to someone sitting in a, you know, big conference room in New Mexico. Um, but I enjoyed that challenge, and it kind of, you know, fed into what I love about the wine industry again was getting to you know, meet new people and have this kind of connecting force between all of us. With wine, I really do feel like you can get the grower, the winemaker, and the, you know, the person at the final step of the way who's gonna be working with that wine at the same table, and they can have a you know, really fulfilling conversation. I'm not really sure how many industries or products where you get to have those kinds of conversations every step through the chain. Mm -hmm. What did you find about Oregon wines, sort of the, the view of it or the reputation of it nationally? You know, I, I really knew that I was going into those markets with a really strong brand behind me. You know, Willamette Valley Vineyards really putting a strong you know, foot forward. These were um, teams that had worked with the wines for a long time, and so it was really, really cool to you know, come into their market and see the love for, for Oregon and Oregon wine. So at the end of that, at the end of the time, you mentioned you're 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 out on the road quite a bit. You're in a lot of different places, managing people. So, uh, had your, did, did, were you starting to map out a career path in your head at this point? Is there something you wanted to do? I knew that towards my progression through the national sales uh, work at Willamette Valley Vineyards that I was getting a little further away from what initially got me into wine, um, and it was in 2015 um, that I did eventually say goodbye to them, and then that September um, enrolled at Chemeketa's uh, Vineyard Management Program. So pulled the e-brake of sorts. <laughs> and what, so it, Vineyard Management, so that, that was the passion at that point? Yeah, you know, I, I loved working with my hands. I, I really did love the vineyard. I mean, that was the whole, you know, impetus for me getting into wine, I think, was, I know, was the, the farming side of it. And so finding my way back to that and exploring that. So tell me about your experience in the program. I loved it. You know, I, I have two undergraduate degrees from the University of Oregon that mean a lot to me, um, environmental studies and Judaic studies. Um, but it's the two-year degree I did at Chemeketa that really chewed me up and spit me out <laughs> and gave me, you know, the tools to, to go out into the, into the field, mm -hmm. have a career. So we've heard a lot, obviously, a lot of people in the Oregon wine industry have gone through Chemeketa at some point or another. Tell me about uh, moments you remember or, or things you remember from your time then. Oh, from the program, I mean, designing your spray program, um, uh, you know, learning, you know, tractor manual movements. Like I took a tractor safety class at Lim Benton Community College, which was, you know, eye-opening for me with a bunch of 14 and 15 year olds <laughs> who are getting their permits to work away from their family farms with the combines. Um, 
You know, I, I really enjoyed the practical application of what I learned there. Um, you know, you get your section in the vineyard that you're farming all year round, um, which is then, you know, handed off to students that are in the winemaking program. Um, it was really, really immersive, and I knew going back to school for the second time, uh, that was really what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So coming out of that, what was your next step? Uh, so I was really starting to think about what my you know, future in the industry was going to be. I um, had an amazing professor at Chemeket at the time. Her name was Jessica Cortell, um, who also has Vitisterra uh, Vineyard Management Services. And I was working at Brooks Winery while I was back at school. And I was driving up and down Cherry Blossom every day, almost, and seeing this one vineyard site that was up for sale, potential vineyard land. It was kind of sandwiched between uh, two vineyards that we had worked with at Brooks exclusively. And it just was something in the back of my head that I, I kind of looked at that piece of land and, and knew that this was where I wanted to be eventually. It was kind of controlling the means of production and, and really finding you know, that piece of property that was going to be not just you know, my forever home, but also where I could kind of have that living, learning classroom of my own and exercise that passion. So tell me about the search for that space. That was interesting. Uh, that was about a year and a half. Uh, you know, looked at maybe about a 10 dozen different properties, um, turnkeys, development, um, uh, sites that were, you know, going to take a lot of work, but also sites that were just a little too easy to walk into. Um, what I eventually realized about that site at Bro uh, down the hill from Brooks um, so there really wasn't a lot of dynamicness to it. You know, you were kind of sandwiched between two other existing vineyards and kind of a drop steep off, kind of a, a cliff, a facade. And so it, I, I realized that I kind of wanted something that I would be able to mold and, and shape a little bit more um, as a project. And that kind of led me to this property here. Um, it's 49 acres. There's about eight acres in the lower part of the property that we left out of production. It wasn't really great for farming, but it did have, you know, the right number um, for potential gross, gross development that I was looking for um, to feel secure in the you know, future career of just growing grapes at that moment. When it came to looking for the vineyard, uh, the vineyard property, what was it you were focusing on in terms of, sort of what were the kind of the key points of vineyard property? You know, I really wanted diversity. I, I, I wanted some kind of flow and energy to the site that was going to provide um, you know, different expressions, uh, different characteristics of the, um, of the growing conditions here. Um, what I love about this site is that it's almost continuous 360 planning, which due north facing here is flat. So we really are going to get to play with um, all of those different aspects, as well as um, we have pretty delineated volcanic and marine sedimentary soils up here. That was a fun part of the you know, due diligence of you know, looking at the property was getting Andy Gallagher up here um, doing pretty big, rough, and backhoe excavator soil pits in the ground, uh, which we did eventually follow up with some site tech micro soil sampling and site analysis, which was really cool to see that macro to micro um, difference on the mapping. So once you were here, I'm curious about the, the sort of the timeline from there. What were you sort of thinking as you sort of looked at the property and mapped out what it could be? I think I knew right away that to develop all of the potential acreage on here would be a little intimidating. Uh, so I've 
kind of stair step progressed myself into it. Um, the first three acres that we planted um, in 2018 were already in an open field behind the barn um, that was in pasture. And so that was a really great place to start. Um, did an acre and a half each of Pomard and Vadensville um, back there, and then started focusing on the rest of the property. Um, so about 35 acre, uh, 30 acres was in timber that was all harvestable, um, had been farmed since the 1960s. And so looking at um, a couple of different timber cruises, uh, we were able to find a company to work with, and then the timber sales actually helped offset the cost of production. As you were kind of laying it out, were you, what, what did you have in mind for, you mentioned starting with Pinot Noir. Yeah. Uh, was that, what else did you want to plant, or was there other things you wanted to plant here, or was it going to be Pinot Noir? I knew it was going to be Pinot Noir to start. Um, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for my grandfather and my father's passion as well in wine. Um, they're you know, huge fans of Oregon Pinot Noir. It was my introduction to Oregon Pinot was through them as well when they would come up and visit me in college. Um, and so I knew getting Pinot on the ground would, you know, be the first and foremost thing to get the fruit in the hands of winemakers. At least that's how I felt at the time. Um, so we have three acres now of producing Pomard and Vadensville Pinot Noir up here, and then 12.7 acres of eight different clones as well of Pinot. So just about 15.8 acres up here right now that are planted. Um, and then still about eight additional acres um, that are lying in fallow field right now. Um, you know, I was pretty acutely aware of the effect of harvesting that timber, you know, splitting the, the trunks, the stumps, the slash burning. Um, it looked like a giant threw a temper tantrum up here through most of that process. And so I was, you know, pretty serious about not only just wanting to stair step into full production here on the property, but also giving the land that was in timber a chance to really kind of heal itself and kind of settle back in. So after all the, after the, the, the your kind of experience, tell me what it was like having your own vineyard and getting to kind of lay it out and plan it out. Uh, really exciting. You know, I... Uh, also spent the last five years working for a vineyard management company. Um, I'm no longer with them this growing year, um, but they were super helpful. You know, Jessica Cortell um, helped me for the first two years with the producing three acres now, and then um, the vineyard management company, which at the time was Northwest Vineyard Services, um, which is no longer around. It's now Atlas Vineyard Management, um, helped me with the production, the development of the remaining 12.7. And so having those um, team members, um, Jessica Cortell, who was my professor, and then the team that I you know, spent the last five years working with kind of helped me through that um, development and vision and kind of actualization of the property was really special. And I'm curious about the, the sort of the, the practices involved. Are you, did you fold on, full biodynamic from the start or is something you're working your way toward? You know, that's been interesting. It was biodynamics that led me into wine. And what I'm discovering now with my own property is, you know, every day is different. Um, this year has been a really busy year, getting married, um, uh, just lots going on. I left my vineyard management job to focus more on my own vineyard. And even through that kind of reorientation of my time, um, what I found about biodynamics is that you really have to be, you know, 100% in the moment with your in intention and attention to um, give over to it. You know, the first three years I was uh, getting two 500 sprays out and you know this year I just haven't really been able to, to get out there and do it. So we're farming organically to certification standards um, and biodynamics when I guess time allows but also when I'm able to refocus and shift back into that. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
I'm, I'm still trying to, to figure out how to bring it into my farming practice that works for me. It's interesting to admit that, but yeah. Well, as you said, it, 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 it takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of energy and, and, and uh, timing. So it's not, it's not an easy thing to just roll out of the bag. No, yeah, and, and you can't really half-ass it either. <laughs> Uh, you know, stirring those preparations alone is an hour. And when you're one person with a three-gallon, you know, backpack sprayer on your back, uh, you know, it can get a little uh, daunting. Um, so I need to, you know, refocus some time, I think, into figuring how to make it work a little bit more for me. Um, where I have found issues with biodynamics in the past can be with the dogmatism of it, you know, where we do have our blackout days but that doesn't necessarily mean that farm activities need to stop. Or um, when it's just me right now doing all the handwork in the vineyard, I do journal and keep track of the corresponding biodynamic days to the practices in the vineyard and the rows that I'm in when I stop and start so that I'm, I do have that kind of empirical data to kind mm -hmm. of turn back to and look at. Um, but that's as easy as you know journaling at the end of the day. Um, so I, I still find ways to engage with it. Um, but again, trying to figure out how to make it work for me. Tell me about finding, building relationships once you had grapes, building relationships with people to buy the grapes. Yeah, um, that's been you know a, a delight in a lot of ways. Um, so Brooks Winery, who I worked for for three years, um, this last year was the first um, producing year off the three acres. Uh, Brooks purchased all of the fruit, which was wonderful. They were super excited to work with it. And it, I can't tell you how special and full circle it felt to know that that fruit was going to a place that I called home for so long. Mm -hmm. um, and then this year, I was hoping to diversify a little bit. I'm also acutely aware that I have 12.7 acres that are going to be coming online soon, and Brooks probably does not have the capacity to take 15.8 producing acres from here. Um, so I've you know, developed some relationships through Chemeketa and then through the vineyard management company. I was going to work with two new winemakers this year, um, but after the frost in April, um, it was the pomard block that I was going to uh, be kind of slicing and dicing to work with those winemakers with. Um, but the pomard is a few days earlier than the Vadensville and really um, got hit hard by the frost, unfortunately. A uh, crop estimate is always going to be a little bit more of an art than a science. And kind of seeing the variability out there of the fruit set um, and kind of how the vines were holding and hanging on to their fruit. I had to make a tough call of deciding that it would still be easier this year to sell all the fruit to one winery as opposed to trying to get out there in the field and, and divvy it out. So I want to back up for a second. You mentioned Brooks and we kind of had, we kind of glazed over it there. So tell me about your time at Brooks and uh, sort of the meaningful experiences there for you. Yeah, um, Brooks was a winery that I was aware of um, through Catherine Cole's book, Vidu Ventners. The book I believe is dedicated um, to Jimmy, um, Jimmy Brooks who passed away in 2004. Um, and that was my first opportunity getting to work at a biodynamic winery after, you know, being brought into wine through biodynamics. Um, I got to work closely with Clay Wesson, who was their biodynamic consultant, um, practitioner there at the vineyard. And I had one day a week where I got to kind of be his intern and, and work closely with him. And that was really special. Um, and also recognizing that Brooks saw what brought me to them and helped nurture that as well. Um, I've always loved the team there. They, they've treated me, like I said, like family over the years. 
and working on uh, vineyard management for the past couple of years, a whole different kind of way to look at the industry. You're out looking at a lot of different places, working yeah. with a lot of different people. Tell me about that experience for you. That was definitely a, a change, you know, going from, you know, working on an estate vineyard to um, hundreds of acres that we were managing throughout. I started the first two years as a, a viticultural technician and then the last three years as an assistant vineyard manager. Um, and what I loved, I think, the most about that as well was what, you know, I love about wine, the wine industry as a whole, you know, was the camaraderie and also the people you meet along the way. Mm -hmm. So not every vineyard, but, you know, I got to work with our clients. Um, you know, sometimes you have out-of-state owners, you know, you have um, vineyards where there's no home site, so you're not getting to work or interact with the people as so much of a regular basis. Um, but I also loved our crews. You know, mm -hmm. Chemeketa recognized the importance of learning Spanish. I took Spanish for a year, was my first experience into that. And I really had fun with the crews um, getting to, to exercise it, to practice my Spanish, to, to work with them. Um, yeah, the camaraderie was a lot of fun. It was hard work. You know, those, those, you're working all year for those two months during harvest, and it's a lot of managing, you know, client expectations, winery relationships, um, a lot of spinning plates. I kind of thrive in those fast-paced environments, but you really do crash out pretty hard at the end of it all. <laughs> You mentioned client expectations, obviously a, a, a lot of different clients, a lot of different acres, a lot of different kind of points of view. So how, what did you learn about that? Uh, and as you kind of go forward in the industry, what do you sort of take away from working with that many different people? I guess what I really took away was, was seeing how everybody's passion is going to express itself a little differently. You know, what, what they're interested in doing and what they're seeing, what their bottom line is, what their top line is, um, making sure that you you know, rise to meet those expectations, but also understanding and appreciating that farming is at the mercy of the weather and nature. Um, there's no such thing as a fair-weathered farmer, and um, you really, you know, get to test your own um, limits in that environment as well. You know, what you're capable with, whether you're out there working in, you know, 35-degree temperatures in the winter during pruning or... But uh, it'll, it'll push your limits, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I really, you know, appreciated getting to learn from so many different winemakers, um, understanding the relationship between grower and winemaker. Um, sometimes those um, energies are in focus and in line, and sometimes they're oppositional. Um, different perspectives, different drives, mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, it's to grow the best fruit possible in order for a winemaker to have the best materials at you know, their fingertips. Mm. And kind of finding the balance between that um, is always interesting and a lot of fun. So uh, you mentioned kind of the, the, your, the fair, kind of lack of fair weather farming and the kind of dealing with nature and, and limits. That kind of leads me to my next question. I'm curious about 2020 for you uh, and all, all the facets of 2020, uh, both uh, harvest 2020, pandemic, etc. Uh, tell me about sort of the effects 2020 had on your work and your life and the, the, re the reactions and changes you had to make. Yeah, 2020 was tough. Um, you know, not only going into a global pandemic, um, but also the fires that followed in September. Um, you know, something that I'm really quite proud of as an industry is that, you know, a few, about five or six of us, some of the, the larger vineyard management companies, some of the larger uh, wineries that have their own in-house vineyard management teams, we met together to kind of discuss how 
um, Harvest was going to look, you know, during a global pandemic, um, discussing, um, you know, as farmer labor contract crews move throughout the valley, as, you know, new teams show up on new vineyards each day, um, you know, the kind of close knit interaction that occurs when you're doing piecemeal pay for punch per buckets, you know, at the harvest bins. Um, so we met as a team, as an industry, uh, to, to talk about what that was going to look like and kind of put in some, some best practices ahead of that. Um, you know, PPE was where it needed to be, rightfully, in you know, the hands of first responders, but that you know, also was hard on our guys as well. You know, we needed our Tyvek suits, our KN95s for the spray programs. Um, so you have your backup inventories. You know, you always have something left over at the end of the year. But it was difficult to source those materials, and that was hard for our guys. Um, you know, bringing in different masks they weren't used to. Maybe they're a little tighter, second band around the head. You know, you want your team to be comfortable, and when they're used to doing something for so many, you know, so many years a certain kind of way. Um, so that was something that we, you know, were prepared and braced for. And then when the fires rolled in, I mean, it was kind of uh, a little bit more hectic and kind of trying to figure out how we were going to not only you know support our teams during a global pandemic but also made sure that we had the proper ppe for picking as well because as you remember you know the aqi was over 500 for about a week and a half i feel like and the conditions were just horrific and it was really difficult um, trying to you know work with the teams make sure that we were being safe as well um, it's really laborious picking fruit and so to you know kind of walk up and down the rows and keep reminding you know your teams to please put their masks you know back up on their faces um, because of the you know the smoke inhalation it was difficult you know it was it was a challenge mm. it was hard conditions to be out there working and at the at the end of it I'm curious did you feel like after all of that, you have pandemic and you're preparing for a harvest and, and you're dealing from a pandemic perspective, then you have the fires. What, how did you feel you did? How did you feel harvest 2020 ended up going? You know, I think collectively it was a little traumatic. I think, you know, 2021 Goldilocks Vintage was a little easier to look back on 2020 in some ways. Um, you know, some really hard decisions had to be made, you know, with a lot of our clients. You know, we had vineyards that walked away from their fruit that year. Uh, we had vineyards that needed to have the fruit get picked for insurance claims. So we knew that the fruit actually wasn't going to be made into wine that year. Um, and then, you know, where I'm working right now at Brick House and was also a vineyard management client of ours, which is how I kind of moved into that role as well. Um, worked with the wines in 2020 in a way that was uh, kind of a new to me approach in Oregon wine. It was a non-vintage blend of the you know, smoke-impacted 2020 fruit with bookended cleaner vintages from 2019 and 2021. Um, so I get to work with a wine now that has that story of 2020 in it that I feel really proud about getting to pour, talk about farming of that vineyard and the decisions that the winemaking team utilized. Um, it feels a little healing, I guess, in a way to be able to work with a 2020, not fully, 20, a non-vintage wine that has you know, 2020 components in it um, to be able to talk about that story, it, I almost feel like I get to feel healed a little bit through that, that process. It's really interesting. I like that perspective. Uh, you mentioned Brickhouse, obviously, um, kind of champions of biodynamics in Oregon. What's your experience been there so far, and what is, your, what is the role you're playing? Uh, my, well, my role there, uh, part of uh, my coming back to Brickhouse was that I was working in their vineyards with the vineyard management team. So when I left the vineyard management company to focus 
here, I still knew that I needed something that was going to get me off the vineyard, working with people. Talking about wine is a muscle, and um, it's something that I felt like I needed to continue to exercise. Mm -hmm. And so I'm doing direct-to-consumer sales up there, working in hospitality. Um, but what I love about Brickhouse is that it's such a small team. It's just the five of us. It's you know Doug Tunnell, the owner and grower winemaker, uh, his niece Savannah, the assistant winemaker, Carrie, direct-to-consumer manager, and then myself and another hospitality guy. So I, I went from you know Willamette Valley Vineyards on one you know end of the spectrum in Oregon wine to Brooks about in the medium to now working with a five-person team um, where I get to do everything from still you know utilizing some of those vineyard management um, experiences while I'm working with the guests, um, but also being pulled on to a three-person bottling line you know when the rosé is ready to run. So I guess I, I enjoy the uh, the flexibility of working in a small team in that regard. So you've done a lot already <laughs> in a fairly short amount of time. You've, you've worked with a lot of different roles, a lot of different places. Um, as let's look ahead a little bit. Start here at Fayetta. What is your kind of long-term plan for what what is going to be here? It's a big question. Um, you know, I, I really want to continue working with as many winemakers as possible. That's something that I'm realizing is that it's the relationships, the camaraderie of the industry that I love so much, and working with different winemakers. I'm going to get to experience this one vineyard in so many different ways by working with their specifications, their requests, um, learning about this site through their utilization of it. And so my, my dream would be to continue to build upon those relationships, see the fruit that I grow and put this love into, find you know a home at their wineries, and then slowly but surely over the years start pulling back some of the, the parcels of the property that... Um, I feel, you know, maybe a little stronger pull towards or, um, you know, figuring out, uh, you know, over the years what to hold on to and what to sell. Mm -hmm. And then working, you know, up a, a small brand um, through that process as well. But first and foremost, making a name out for the vineyard. And in sort of uh, wine life outside of Fayette Vineyard, uh, do you have goals in mind for other things you'd like to do, other places you'd like to be, other roles you'd like to have? Ooh. Um, I look forward to continuing to grow as a vineyard manager here at Fayetta. You know, I recognize the awesome and amazing opportunity and gift I've been given to be here and to farm this land. And I really want to make sure that I am giving the most of myself to this place first and foremost. I still recognize, you know, that I have my own needs to meet as well, you know, my own sociability needs, you know, my desire to continue talking and working about wine with the public. That's something I did every step of the way through my career, whether it was at Willamette or Brooks, now Brickhouse. Um, I loved going to work the market in the mid-Atlantic, and now I get to talk to people that are visiting from Virginia. You know, it, it, I find ways to build connections throughout my own experiences into today. But I, I think it needs to come back to, you know, Fayetta in a lot of ways. Um, I want to continue to grow to be the best vineyard manager here possible. And that comes with more and more time with my own boots on the ground here. So. Um, Yes, I'd love to go off and continue to do other things in the wine industry, um, but this is home base. And sort of outside of wine, uh, other things on the horizon for you. I mean, you mentioned you're getting married shortly. Uh, anything else kind of in the in the in the plans? 
Um, you know, we are growing the animals up here, which is exciting. Uh, we've got our goats and our chickens, ducks and geese. Uh, we have two cows, two Dexter cows showing up in the spring, which is going to be really exciting. So continue to add to that diversity. We'll have some nice organic cow manure for our Biodynamic 500 preparation. So I think maybe bridging that in a little bit will help, uh, you know, pull some time and attention to it. Um, I also work with Wine Country Pride, uh, which is an amazing organization up here in the valley, um, kind of bringing awareness and education um, to you know, our larger Yamhill County, their LGBTQ you know, plus population living here. It's not just focused on wine, but we are using the wine industry as a way to kind of increase that visibility. Uh, we are raising money throughout the year um, that comes back directly into our community uh, through different scholarships at the high schools throughout Yamhill County. I was a part of that uh, scholarship process this year, which was really exciting and fulfilling. Um, it also kind of helps, you know, me bring focus into my own experience as a queer farmer as well, uh, which I've been in, you know, learning more and more over the years, you know, what that means and what that looks like for myself. How did you get involved with Wine Country Writer? How did you kind of find out about it? And what has the, what is the role you've played so far? Um, all my friends have been participating in Wine Country Pride uh, for the last couple years while I was still a baby organization, not yet a 501c3. Um, uh, I have some really good friends in Dundee, the Pollinate Flower Boys. Um, they've been really involved over the years. They helped getting the uh, the Rainbow Quest flag um, ad adventure, you know, um, up throughout Yamhill County during the um, June, during Pride Month, and watching them kind of grow what was an opportunity to kind of you know flag a progress Pride flag, show your allyship, um, opening your doors up to the community, really kind of grow into something that was going to be much larger in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, watching Remy Drabkin, Kristen Stoller, uh, Casey Merrill kind of pull, you know, their power trio nonstop energy into this and kind of build up to where it is today has been really exciting to see. I think we're really excited to see Wine Country Pride be more than just Wine Country Pride Month. Um, so doing events throughout the calendar year as well. So I, my partner and I have been involved with um, Wine Country Pride events, volunteering, helping out over the years. Um, but it was just when the board was established that I stepped on as the role of treasurer. So I'm curious about your experience in the industry so far, looking back. Uh, what, what were your uh, kind of initial impressions of the Oregon industry, and, and what has changed in your mind uh, as you've gotten to know it better? I don't know, in a lot of ways, I still feel like the 22-year-old who, you know, was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and really green around the ears at Benton Lane, showing up on the crush pad my first day. Um, as I do here, you know, learning every day is different with the vineyard, too. Like, I, I still see how much there is to learn and to grow in the industry. So I think my first impressions of, you know, being wide-eyed has not changed. I. You know, you think you know something about wine, well, let's them peel back a layer, and there's going to be five more things to discover and dive into. And so I think my impressions, kind of my, my awe at the industry, you know, locally, globally, is still, um, still there. Mm -hmm. um, I think what's been really cool over the years is you meet these people along the way in wine, especially in this Oregon industry where, you know, it's so close, that then come back around to surprise you, you know, four or five years down the line where 
you're engaging with each other in a in a new way, but you still have you know the the similarities of where you've been before, kind of bridging that uh, you know relationship. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting back out more into industry events, coming together out as a community more um, in this kind of post-pandemic stage. Um, it's been really, really nice to see familiar faces again. And what comes next for Oregon Wine? As you mentioned, pseudo post-pandemic now, feeding back towards what it was before. What is the industry going to look like down the road? You know, I've always seen a really strong passion and love for coming out to Oregon and wine being a focal, a focus point for that. Um, you know, whether it was, you know, hospitality at Willamette or at Brooks, at Brick House, I continue to see this strong pull to Oregon wine, you know, across the board. Um, whether it's you know, something larger like Willamette Valley Vineyards, which, you know, my parents can easily get back in Florida, or something like brick house where you know i feel a little bit more you know intrigued to ask like how did you find us today um so i, I definitely get to feel more of that um you know passion for oregon wine showing itself through you know tourism through through people wanting to be here and experience everything that the state has to offer um i'm excited to see where we go as an industry um uh, varietally um you know I did focus and start with Pinot Noir up here, but I am excited to see, you know, what we continue to grow and to do up here as an industry and continue to diversify. Uh, with, you know, this frost event that we just experienced this April, um, I got to see even the micro differences between two different clones of Pinot Noir and how they express themselves and seeing that damage expressed. Um, I'm really hoping that, you know, by pulling in more diversity into the vineyard that we're continuing to kind of pad and protect ourselves in a way that, um, doesn't mean that one inclement weather event then gets to kind of decimate out, um, you know, a pretty healthy percentage of our you know production out here in the valley. Um, I think the latest numbers out of OS OSU's Viticultural Extension Office was something about 50% down as an industry hole this year. Mm -hmm. So I think by bringing in diversity, we're able to protect ourselves in that regard. I think you see that in you know the old world, different parcels where. You know, more hail damage is going to affect different parts of you know their holdings. To where having you know more variability in where they were farming kind of made sure that they were able to pad and protect their overall production. You know, maybe not thinking about devastating hail events, but um, definitely thinking about how we can better protect ourselves up here as well. And if you someone were to ask you your kind of words of wisdom or advice for getting into the Oregon wine industry, what would you tell them? Well, some wonderful advice I got back at Brooks, which I'll never forget and will probably put on my tombstone one day, uh, was from uh, a farmer down the road, Richard Cranall. Um, he farms just below Brooks. Uh, really amazing guy. Um, farming that property himself for a very long time and would come up at the end of the day to have a glass of wine with us and sit at the bar and you know catch up with us. Um, but also just to kind of check out what was going on in his own backyard. He'd watch that hill change you know, his whole life. Um, so really learning a lot from him. He told me uh, when I was starting to look, you know, for property and going through the process of, you know, doing what he did. Um, he said, "Jacob, if it wasn't terrifying, it wouldn't be any fun." And nothing's felt more true. You know, every day is different. Every day brings a new challenge, um, but it's those challenges that really bring and brighten up the reward in a lot of ways. It's probably it. some of the best advice I've gotten. Jim Bruno at Willamette Valley Vineyards 
uh, told me one time, we used to meet once a week uh, when I was doing the national sales, uh, that I like to have all the information before I act. And I've sat on that. I've sat on that for you know maybe the last seven, eight years as well and chewed on it and thought about what that meant to him at the time, what that meant to me at the time, and what that means to me now. Mm -hmm. And I think I've leaned into that pretty hard. I think I've embraced it. I'm not really sure if he meant it in the most you know, uplifting way at the time. I think he was trying to encourage me to you know, push me a little bit, to, to push me outside of my comfort zone. Um, but I think it's done me quite some good looking back now, mm -hmm. making sure that you know, I know what I'm prepared for, I know what I'm getting into, and that you know, I have my experience and my education, my information to feel secure and you know, putting my best foot forward. All right. Well, questions that I have for you. Uh, anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything you'd like to cover here that we didn't cover already? Um, yeah, just something that I've been thinking about a lot in this program, the Oregon Wine Archive. Uh, this is something that I did in college as well, something that I, I loved. Um, I took a lot of folklore classes in college. I did Introduction to Folklore. I took a, a folklore fairy tales class, did a folklore field workshop that culminated in a six-month-long senior project called River Stories, uh, where we went up and down the Mackenzie River and interviewed um, different drift boat captains that also had year-round jobs as well. And that whole project ended up being like an info board walkthrough presentation that we did. And knowing about this project, um, kind of that work that I had done in college as well, I think it did lay this path for me into wine too. So I don't want to go without mentioning that. Um, I really enjoyed getting to talk to people, hearing their stories, um, and then figuring out a way to package it and make it um, digestible and engaging for the larger community. And I see that in this project. I see the importance of it. Um, and it also kind of reminds me of what I think was part of my trajectory and journey into wine too. For sure, absolutely. It's, it is interesting. I mean, folklore, I guess, is the, is the closest word to what we're doing with some of the stories we get. So uh, it's right all on those same lines. It's awesome. Thank you so much Thank for you, your time today, for sharing your stories with us, and uh, we'll let you off the hook. That's a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University, with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.